Welcome to Canvas Church. You are listening to our weekly celebration service message. Thank you for tuning in. Well, good morning once again. Turn to your Bibles to Psalm 34, if you would. Psalm 34. We've been in the middle of a series. We're about five weeks in now, entitled Refill. And uh, we're so glad you're joining us. New people are coming. People are getting touched and, uh, by the, the Word of God and by His presence. And we started this journey out looking at a couple of different things. And uh, day one, we talked about how we refill as believers. We refill by getting plugged into church. And that church isn't the source in which fills us, but it's the resource which God chooses uh, to allow his presence to flow through to fill us. Uh, we talked about getting refilled through the word of God, uh, getting refilled through prayer. Um, last week, Caleb was here, talked about getting refilled through rest. How many of you guys appreciated that message? Come on. I heard a ton of good reports about that and just people's mindsets and shifting and, and whatnot. Well, today I want to talk to you on the thought of getting refilled through worship getting refilled through worship. And we've uh, got a lot of simple ways here at Canvas Church that we presented to people to get refilled, to get filled up again. Uh, one of those ways is through community groups, uh, which are happening throughout the city. And I was sharing with the staff and leaders, one of my favorite things to do um, is to go to Facebook right now and to see all the people talking about their community group. It's so awesome to see uh, people encouraging one another and, and just chatting back and forth and just the praise that's going out about God. God's doing in those community groups. We also have other ways of getting refilled here at Canvas Church through our healing groups. Um, the Ortizes have started a, um, a healing group. I, I believe it's at your house, right? No, it's at Arturo's house. And there's information about that in the back. And um, they've got a lot of people attending that, getting signed up, and God's just doing some deep work there. Uh, we also have a healing group on Tuesday nights for, to get people set free from sexual addiction, um, as well as my wife leads one on abortion recovery. And so there's different ways uh, that we present here at Canvas Church, but the whole purpose is this, is that you would get refilled with God's presence, and sometimes that takes some deep healing in our life in order to get to uh, that point. Another great thing we have coming up uh, that we're excited about here in October is on Friday night, well, Friday night coming up, uh, we have um, date night. Come on, how many couples do I have out there that love to go on dates, okay? How many couples do I have out there that don't like to go on dates, okay? If your wife's sitting next to you, don't raise your hand. Um, but uh, so what we're going to do here is we're going to um, uh, have a place for you to drop off all of your children if you have them. If you don't have them, you can, you know, offer it to a neighbor that you know maybe they need to go on a date but they can't afford childcare. My, me and my wife know this, that going to a movie is a lot of fun. Going to a movie uh, with popcorn and everything probably costs us about 40 bucks. But when you throw childcare in there, it's like 140 bucks. Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so I talk to parents all the time, like, no, we don't go out much. Why is that? Well, because child care is so expensive and we can't afford it. And so here's what we want you to do. We don't want you just to be like, oh, I don't have kids, or maybe that's not my season of life. What we want you to do is we want you to go talk to your neighbors and say, hey, our church has free child care on this day, and you need to go drop your kid off there. They'll have a ton of fun. They're background-checked uh, workers. They're, they're trained workers, and your kids are going to have a blast, and then you get to go out on a date. Come on, that movie just went 140 to 40 right there, okay? And so take this opportunity as an evangelistic outreach. Find your neighbors, find some people and say, hey, you need to go on a date, okay? And if you really want to get evangelistic about it, come on, why don't you pay for their date and take them to the child care? Come on, somebody. Well, that, everything got quiet right there. <laughs> Pastor, I just gave my tithes and offerings. What more do you want, okay? 
Um, let's be generous. Amen. Today I want to talk to you about uh, being refilled through worship. Refilled through worship. If you look up uh, the definition of worship and dic- in the dictionary, you'll come up with this definition. Reverent honor and homage paid to God. Reverent homage or honor paid to God. This is reverent, something we do, and we give it to God. If you, if you try to find a biblical definition of worship, you won't really find one. And so what we need to do is we actually need to dive into Scripture and see the places in which people worship in order for us to kind of come up with this definition of what worship is. I love what you just saw on the screen right here. Worship, man, it's not an event. It's an experience, right? Worship isn't an event that takes place on a Sunday morning or anytime you turn on that worship CD in your car or at home. No, worship is an experience. It's a place where we can connect with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we're going to discover that today. Psalm 34, starting in verse 1, uh, I believe uh, the whole chapter paints a great picture of worship from David. We won't read the whole chapter. We're just going to read through verse 10, starting in verse 1, Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will adore him. I will worship him. I will, I will sing praise. I will bless the Lord At all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, the last time I was here and I preached on on, on prayer and uh, out of Philippians 4, to be anxious for nothing but in everything, right? What we're to do, we're to pray. Now, listen to what David's saying here. His praise shall continually, look at that word. It's all the time, without ceasing, be in my mouth. I love that because it tells me this. It's my praise and my worship to God is not based on my circumstance. It's not based on how well I'm doing or how well I'm not doing, that I can bless the Lord, I can praise the Lord no matter what circumstance, situation I'm walking through, that, man, his praise can still be on my lips. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Listen to that now. My soul doesn't make boast in the fact that God delivered me. My soul makes its boast in the Lord whether he delivers me or not. Okay? Reminds me of of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Y'all know that story? Thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow. And they're saying, man, you better bow or we're going to throw you into that furnace. You know what they say? Hey, look. Whether you throw us into that furnace or not, we're not going to bow because our God is able to deliver us. What a prophetic statement. They're not even in the fire yet. What were they doing? They were continually praising God. They weren't letting their circumstance or their situation uh, 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 lead their worship, but they were worshiping God no matter what. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love that part. I'm going to read it like it's written. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You see the exclamation point at the end there? And let us exalt his name together. David's excited. And then he gets a little more calm. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Awesome. And their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man, speaking of himself, 
cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. This is one of my faves right here. Oh, taste. Oh, no, no, let's read it right. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is. Mm, mm mm. Finger licking. Come on, somebody. Good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. God, we thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that we have together, that Lord, you would teach us out of your word what it is to worship, how, how literally in the process of worship, something supernatural takes place. Your, your, your name is elevated. We are filled up. Hallelujah. And, and those that are lost come to know you. God, teach us this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together, getting filled up through worship. Um, before I, uh, I started Canvas Church with a great group of people in my family, before this church was started, I was a youth pastor. And as a youth pastor, um, we saw just a, a great levels of success in our youth ministry. And because of that, God began to open up some, some doors for me to travel and speak at, at different churches and different conferences and events. And so uh, because of that, I was traveling to different places. And one of the things I'd always do when I traveled, I'd always come back with a little teddy bear uh, for my kids. Um, and then I'd bring a, a, a my wife back a picture of me next to some famous monument. I love you, baby. Okay. And there was times when she would get a little bit uh, frustrated with me. Not frustrated, but a little bit. I just said, let's just put it like it was. She was jealous that she wasn't on those trips. All right. I would take her with me as many as I could. Matter of fact, I took her to New York on one of them. I'd been there um, a couple times. I was like, babe, you're coming with me on this one, and we're going to go to the Statue of Liberty. And, uh, and so we go to New York, man, and it's like the last day, and, and it is cold. I mean, it is I mean, come on. You know, I was living in Vegas at the time. It's 110, and it was like 20 below in, in New York. At least it felt like it. And so we get there, and we brave the elements, and we go down, and, and uh, we get to the little ferry boat, and we come, and we're waiting for the ferry, and no ferry ever comes. Yeah. And uh, finally, we found out that the ferry stopped at a certain time, and we got there too late, and we weren't going to be able to go across and see a Statue of Liberty. And so um, I just said, babe, look, there it is. Come on, let's get a picture. You can't even see it behind us, but let's get a picture, right? And so I, I go on these trips in uh, different places, and one of the places I went was Niagara Falls. Anybody ever been to Niagara Falls before? Okay. Man, it was such an awesome experience. I wasn't able to take my wife on that one, and, and, uh, and so I just, you know, texted her pictures of me, and, and we superimposed her, and you'll see it if you come to our house, and it looks like we're both at, just kidding. Um, but I remember going to Niagara Falls, and I was on this trip speaking in, in New York, and uh, so one of the days I was like, I want to go see it, and they said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to go to the Canadian side to really get the good view of it. So I'm like, sweet. So I didn't have my passport with me, so I just braved it and said, God, please let me back in. And so we drove across uh, into Canada, went to the Canada side, and uh, th this person wasn't lying. You go to that side, and there is such an awesome view of Niagara Falls. 
And I remember going across, you know, driving by this side and going into Canada. And, and we go and we park and you can just see it. But man, when we stepped out of the car and we began to walk over to the falls, not only could you see it, but now you could hear it. And it was just like this mighty rushing water. It was so loud that you literally had to yell to the person next to you because the power of it was so intense. Not only that, though, as I got closer to it, and if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. And this was on a cold day. But as you got closer to it, the water is so powerful that now you can begin to, the, the, the mist begins to come up and begins to get on you. It was so amazing, and we sat there, and then they had these um, little, you know, the little things you can look through to get a closer view, as if you needed one, right? I mean, the little thing is like out, and there's the falls. It was so impressive and so massive. And as I stood there looking at this, this impressive sight, I could hear people talking about it, like, oh, my word, this is amazing. Man, I cannot wait to tell so-and-so what I saw, and they're snapping pictures, and they're taking videos, and, and they're talking about it. And as some people are beginning to walk away, they're like, Dad, Dad, can I just go back and look at it one more time? And so then they would go back, and they would stand, and just to hear the roar of the water and see this massive, impressive sight, and, and then on the way out, you can, you can see little kids tugging on parents, can we go in and get, you know, the souvenir, right? And hearing people talking about how impressive it was, and how, how powerful it was, and how amazing it was, there was other people that, were, they ran over, because they're so excited to see it, they ran over, and they stopped, and they're like, wow, this is amazing, and I remember that sensation of seeing it. And I was texting my wife like, babe, I'm here. It's really cool. And I'm taking lots of pictures. And she's like, shut up. <laughs> and getting back from seeing this impressive sight and hearing it and all the people. And I remember getting back and I wanted to show my wife all of the pictures I took because this thing was so impressive that I was in awe. I was absolutely enamored and in awe of what I had just seen. Ladies and gentlemen, what was taking place at that moment with me and, and everyone that was there was worship. No, not some weird, inordinate, gross worship, cultic idol. No, they were standing there, and this was literally worship taking place. Like, wow, this is so impressive. This is so awesome. Man, I cannot believe, man, can you hear it? You can feel it. It is. And when they walked away, they didn't want to leave. They wanted to come back and stand and see it some more. That, ladies and gentlemen, is worship. That's worship. That's worship. People standing in awe of this powerful, impressive experience. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what worship is supposed to be. When we worship God, when we worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that's the experience. And if you've ever entered into this place that John chapter 4 talks about worshiping in spirit and in truth, you know what I'm talking about. That you've experienced God to the degree that, that you don't want to leave his presence. That when you, when you walk away from that experience, that moment of, wow, God, you just absolutely blew my mind. You just absolutely, well, you, you went over the top. That when you begin to walk away, you're like, you know, I just got to go back just, just and take one more look. I got to go back for just, just a, a, a minute, just for a moment. 
And that when you walk away from that experience, that that powerful moment where you connected with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, when you walk away, you can't just, just keep it to yourself. You want to go share it with somebody. You want to go tell somebody, just like I wanted to share with my wife, babe, I saw Niagara Falls. I mean, it's one thing. Let's be honest. It's one thing to YouTube it. Come on, somebody. And listen to the little, you know, the little noise, your little speakers on your laptop. It sounds like a faucet's turned on. (laughs) But to go there and be getting hit with the mist and to hear the rush and the roar. You walk away and you're like, I've got to take you there sometime. That's worship. That's worship. When you walk away from that moment, you're like, you know what? I just, I just, and you want to take somebody. Somebody with me this morning. That's worship. That's worship. What would it be like for you to, to hey, I want to go see Niagara Falls. Oh, don't worry about it. You don't need to go see here. Let's YouTube it real quick. See, there it is. It's not that impressive. Look, it's, it's not that big. Or what would it be to, to be that close, to be where I was in New York and not go see it, not drive the extra 40 minutes and cross over into another country just to get the best picture? Could you imagine getting in the car and driving over this, doing a drive-by? All right, that's cool. Let's go. Uh, just, just roll down the window. I'll just, okay, I'm good. Hey, babe, look, saw it. See you in a few days. How horrible that would be to be right there. But yet so many Christians live their worship experience right there. Because when I talk about worship in church, one of the first things we think about is what just happened up here. The keyboard, the drum, the guitar, people singing. Yeah, that was, yeah, that, 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 that's your drive-by experience of worship. So when I talk about worship, you're like, I don't get it. I don't understand what he's talking about it. And I love what the, the things that on the thing, if, if, if the music's good, oh, it was good. If they sang my song, I could really get into it, my worship was awesome. But if someone hits a wrong chord or a wrong, he's like, oh, man, they just ruined the moment. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Especially if you're a worship leader. Yeah, the worship leaders are notorious for making it look like they're worshiping. But in the back of their mind, like, why is the guitar player playing that? They're totally off right now. Gosh, can the drummer not keep a beat? He's throwing us all off. Jesus, I love you and I hate my band. Okay? If you're, come on, how many worship leaders out there know what I'm talking about? You've ever been on stage? A one honest person. Thank you. Okay. And so when we think of worship, we think of that moment. But ladies and gentlemen, that is not worship. That is the car ride over to Niagara Falls. That is just setting you up for the moment in which you connect with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's why you can look around even on a Sunday morning, or maybe it's not even a Sunday morning, but let's just talk Sunday morning. And you can look over, and all of a sudden someone over there is like this, and they're weeping. You're like, oh, gosh, what's wrong with them? And you're just sitting there like, we went to one of those churches. Or you see somebody else, and they're just like, oh, man, this is awesome. Right? That was a dance, in case you're wondering. I did not have to go to the bathroom. That was a dance, all right? Okay? 
And you see them, and you're like, dude, what, what's going on with them? They have taken the car ride over. They have gotten out of the car, and they are getting sprayed with the mist, and they can hear the roar and the rumble, and they're in this powerful moment that we call worship. That was really good. Because they've gotten out of the car. See, the rest of us, we're still in the car, like, I don't know the words. da 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 one of the songs, I was like, I, I, I don't have that one on the CD. I don't know it. <laughs> so you know what I did? I just said, I'm, I'm getting out of the car. Come on, somebody. And I worshipped. Worship is not an event. Worship is not music. Is music vital to worship? Yeah, we see in Scripture. We're going to look at some of those that, 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 that music was helped, you know, it kind of helped bring about that atmosphere and that spirit of worship. But yet you have other people that sat in prison, shackled and chained, that had no instrument to play, and they began to worship. Boom! The presence of God showed up. The presence of God showed up. Worship is not an event. It is an experience, and it is powerful. But yet too many of us are, are just driving by, and we're missing out. We're missing out on hearing the roar, the rumble, getting sprayed with the mist. Worship's powerful. Worship's powerful. Let me give you a few verses, and I'm going to give you a lot, of, a lot of verses today, and so I encourage you to write them down. Go look at them later. Worship is powerful. How powerful is worship? It, it talks about this in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, verse 1, Sing, O barren one, you who have not birthed children. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. You have not birthed children, for you will have more children. The desolate one will have more children than the one that's been married for a while and has children. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 54 because it doesn't just say, hey, sing, O barren one, and you're going to have children. It says, sing, O barren one, and you're going to have more children than the one that's been married and having children for the last 10 years. Are you catching that? Because when the presence of God touches you and you get into that powerful moment of worship, something supernatural begins to happen. And God begins to produce. Listen to me. Worship brings forth results. When you get into that place, why? Because it's not an event. It's an experience where you connect with God. And when you begin to connect with God, something supernatural begins to happen. We see it in Isaiah. I like this one right here. You can write this one down. 2 Chronicles 20. One of my favorite Old Testament passages about worship. We preached about it in our vertical series. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we see this, this king named Jehoshaphat, and he's about ready to go into battle. The odds are stacked against him. It doesn't look like he's going to win. It, the battle's going to go south. He's going to lose everybody. But in a moment of prayer, he seeks God, and God says this. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead and rally the worshipers. And I want you to send forth the worshipers out in front of the army. Now, in his mind, he's probably thinking, sweet, that'll be a good buffer. We'll tire them out as they get murdered. And then we'll... Send them out. And the Bible says as they went out and they began to worship out in front of the army, the Lord set ambushes for the enemy, boom, and killed them all. It's a good story. 
Then worship wins the battles that we are fighting. See, far too often we are battling in our own strength, under our own power, under our own ideas of how we think things should be done when really what we need to do, we just need to stop. We need to begin to go into that place of worship. No, not the drive-by kind of worship. The John 4, spirit and truth kind of worship where we get out of the car and we go over to Niagara Falls and we say, wow. When we get to that place of worship, all of a sudden God begins to speak because you are connecting with him. You're connecting with it. Look, prayer is good. We talked about it. But a lot of times our prayer is this. Our prayer is, God, here's all of my needs. Here's my requests. Here's what I, I, I'm going through. I really, God, I need you to do something where worship is this. Worship is not you bringing your needs and your requests. The Bible says this. Write this one down. The Bible says this in Psalm 68, 34, to ascribe strength to God. Give it to you again, Psalm 68, 34, to ascribe strength to God. When we come and worship, we are ascribing strength to God. Now, don't, don't misunderstand that. We're not making God stronger. What we're doing is we're ascribing strength to God because we're talking about all of the wonderful things he has done. And because of that, we're saying, hey, we're ascribing our strength to you. God, you've done all of this. You did this for me. You're amazing. You're awesome. Just like when I go to Niagara Falls, I can't make Niagara Falls any more powerful, larger than it already is. But when I begin to describe it to somebody, they might watch the little YouTube, but as I begin to describe it to them, their picture begins to change. Wow, you were getting sprayed with mist. Yeah. What did it sound like? Oh, man, it sounded like. And now I ascribe strength. See, in prayer, you're bringing all your stuff, but in worship, man, you're focused on him, and you're saying, wow, God, you are absolutely amazing. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're holy. You're wonderful. You're... And something begins to happen. Write this one down. Write Isaiah 30, 31 to 32. I'm going to turn there and read this one because I like this one. It's one that I just, I'd never really come. I'm sure I have because I've read through the Bible, but this one, it came to me as I was studying I want to read it to you. Verse 29, Isaiah 30. You shall have a song as in the night. How many of you guys like to sing at night? Love songs. Come on, somebody. When a holy feast is kept and gladness of heart as when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord, to the rock of Israel, And the Lord will cause his majestic voice. Anybody ever wonder what that sounds like? I bet it just sounds a lot like Niagara Falls. To be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and the flame of devouring fire. With a cloudburst and a storm and hailstones, the Assyrians, the enemy which you are facing, will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. Now listen to this. The enemy is going to be stricken with the rod, and they are going to be fearful, and they are going to run for their life. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Wow. You need to highlight that one. You need to memorize that one. 
Because listen to what it's saying. God is the one that's going to win the battle. He's the one that's going to take out the enemy. He's the one that's going to cause terror to come upon them. No matter what your enemy is, no matter what you're facing, whether it's sickness, disease, poverty, you just lost your job, you got a bad report from the doctor, it doesn't matter. God's going to take care of it. He's going to take out the enemy that you face. He, he, it's going to be his rod. He's going to be the one swinging it. But what's going to appropriate it is your worship. It's going to happen as you got the tambourine. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but I grew up in church, and I grew up in Pentecostal church. And there would be some awesome, amazing person dancing down the aisle. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about? And they would have a tambourine, but it wasn't just the tambourine. It was a tambourine. Come on, with a flag coming off of it. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, don't try to do that here. Our ushers will tackle you in the aisle, Okay. If you want to do that, do it in your car, do it at home. But if you do it in your car, make sure you're parked. Okay? But man, they come with the tambourine. They may know what I'm talking about. Anybody been there? Man? How many of you guys glad we don't do that here at Canvas? How many wish we would do it here at Canvas? Uh, of course, Judah raises his hand. Judah wants to put on his linen ephod too, but we would. Okay? Listen to what the Bible's saying in Isaiah. God's the one that's going to do it. It's going to be his rod that's going to strike the enemy, but it's going to be your worship that takes it there. Wow. Worship's powerful. Worship's powerful. Acts 16, write that one down. Breaks chains off that have you bound. This is the one where Paul and Silas sit in prison. They don't have any instruments. If they had a tambourine, they couldn't do anything about it because they were shackled and chained. But they begin to worship. And as they worshiped, the earth shook, chains broken, and they were set free. Worship breaks the chains that have you bound. God wants your worship. God's jealous for your worship. Exodus 9.1, when, when, when the Lord's talking to, to Moses, say, hey, Mo, I want you to go let, get my people out of Egypt. Because Moses, I want you to go get my people out of Egypt. Don't ruin the moment, people unruly people. I want you to get them out of Egypt because I want them to worship me. They, they've been in bondage too long and I, I, I need some worship. So I want you to go get them out for this reason. I want you to bring them here to worship me. God's jealous for our worship. My man, you were designed for worship. You were designed for worship. I love, I love the story in Luke 19. So I told you I was going to give you a lot of scripture. Luke 19, the triumphal entry. People are laying branches down and cloaks down and things down to usher in the presence of God. They are worshiping him. And as they worship, worshiping him, the, the question gets asked, like, hey, what's going on? What's, what's up with all the worship? He says, you know what? If they don't worship me, the rocks, the stones, they'll rise up and they'll begin to worship me. Okay, got it. He's jealous for our worship. He wants our worship. Worship's powerful. I love the story in John chapter 4. And if you haven't been following along on our devotionals that we have for you online or in your booklet, you need to do that, man. There's some great devotionals. John chapter 4. Uh, this, 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 this conversation happens with Jesus and this woman by a well. And the whole thing takes a turn and becomes about worship. 
It's a powerful story. Jesus says to the woman, listen to me. You come into this well right here to get water, but you know what? There's a water that's a perpetual well, and it springs up, and you'll never thirst again, and it'll be available, and it's there for you, and the context is worship. Worship. In worship, it's not an event. It's an experience in which we connect with God. To the degree when we walk away, we want to bring somebody else to see it, to experience it, to feel it. You might be sitting here today and say, I I still don't quite get it because you're still doing the drive-by. We've reduced in church worship down to a 25-minute, four songs, start with fast, end with slow. Someone will get up. Ah. God wants your worship. Why is God jealous for your worship? Because he understands this. He understands more than you do. He understands. He's got a God complex, by the way. And it's okay for him to have that because he's God. He understands this. He understands more than you do that he is your source. He knows it. He is your source. And so the reason he craves your worship, the reason he's jealous for your worship, the reason he wanted the the children of Israel to get out of Egypt and get out of bondage, and i got to get to the main passage, Jesus help me, is because in that context, they connect, and he's able to fill his people once again. He wants your worship. Psalm 34, let's look at it real quickly. It's a great passage on worship. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear it be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David is writing this in retrospect of something that took place. If you write down 1 Samuel chapter 20, uh, 21, 1 Samuel 21, you'll go back to that moment and you'll read about a young man named David who was fleeing for his life. And in fleeing for his life, he ends up uh, where the Philistines are at. He ends up in Gath. And there he tries to, to find refuge. There he tries to find a place where he can hide out away from Saul who's trying to kill him. And as he's there, the Philistines, uh, the king of the Philistines, finds out that he's there, and they send people to capture him because they think, hey, man, we can use this guy for a a bargaining chip. And when they go and they get there, the Bible says that David plays a madman. And he acts like he's crazy. He's got drool coming down. Seriously, read it. He's got drool coming down. He's like putting marks on walls. And the king gets there and goes, why did you bring me here? Like I need more madmen in my kingdom. This guy's lost it. And so they leave him alone and David escapes. Now if you were to read that event all by itself, you would think, wow, David, he was a smart dude. He was super intelligent. He had it going on. Man, he faked like he was mad. Man, he was sneaky. But David now, in retrospect, sits down and he's writing this great worship event because he realizes something. He did not get set free because he was that smart. He got set free because God is that powerful. And so he's literally thinking about that moment. As he's thinking about that moment, he pens this, I will bless the Lord at all times. Why? Because he set me free. 
He delivered me. It wasn't my intellect. It wasn't my ability. It was God. And ladies and gentlemen, the sooner we come to that understanding that this church is not seeing people saved because Pastor Ben is that good, because the leadership team is that awesome, that your business is not so successful because you read every great leadership book you can under the sun and you applied it and look how smart you are, that your marriage is not making it today because you're the number one best husband in the world. That you are making it today in every area of your life because God is that awesome, that powerful, that great, and loves you and cares about you that much. And so because of that, David could say, I will bless the Lord at all times. Because I might have played crazy, but you know, they would have killed me. He could have not played crazy at all. He could have just been, been who he was. And God would have set him free and God would have delivered him. Somebody with me this morning. See, there's some of us, you're sitting out there right now and you got some stuff going on in your life and you're trying to think, how am I going to make it out of this? How am I going to make my budget work? How am I going to make this work? How am I going to make that work? How, how am I going to get my marriage fixed? And how are my children going to get saved? And man, I just lost my job and you're starting to pen everything out. And you know what? God's got your back. God has your back. And you can be like David, and you can come to this place and say, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually on my mouth. My soul makes it, I'm going to get to this verse, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Is anybody getting anything out of this this morning? Yeah. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. How do you make God bigger? That word magnify literally means to grow up, to grow large. Oh, grow God large with me. Wait a second, he's God. How do I make him bigger? Anybody ever played with a magnifying glass before? When you're little, burn little ants. Come on, somebody. And you pull out that magnifying glass and that little ant, and all of a sudden you put that magnifying glass right there, and you don't make that ant any bigger. You just make the ant look bigger to you. You know what worship does? You know why David is pleading? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Because sometimes when you're walking through circumstances and situations in your life, it looks so big and God looks so small. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The problem looks so big. And God, where are you at? And David learned something. Hold on. Get that magnifying glass out. And make God big to you once again. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. I'm going to close right here. Let me give you these three things real quick. The product of worship. I'm going to give them to you real quick. The product of our worship. How do we get refilled? The product of our worship. Number one, spiritually saved people are compelled to tell others about God's greatness. Spiritually saved people are compelled to tell others about God's greatness. Just like Niagara Falls. Experienced it. Awesome. I got to tell somebody. Worship, ah, experience, God, I got to tell somebody. Spiritually saved people are compelled to go tell others how awesome God is. That's why David, in retrospect, I got delivered. I got to go get somebody else involved. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. John chapter 4, the great picture of worship, the perpetual well. What did she do? She ran and grabbed the whole town and said, hey, I need to introduce you to somebody. You need to come with me. 
Number two, spiritually lost people are drawn closer to God in worship. Spiritually lost people are drawn closer to God in worship. It's not enough to be on this side and look at Niagara Falls. You know what you really got to do? You got to drive across the border. You got to get all, you got to get that picture. It's not enough. You got to get out of the car and you got to walk over and you got to let the mist. I was drawn. Spiritually lost people, when they begin to see worship, true spirit worship. That's why David presents this challenge in verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Magnify him. Man, God's been this good to me. People are looking on in curiosity like, what? He did what, huh? How, where, where, when, what? In the midst of worship, David declaring how awesome his God is. People in curiosity. He says, hey, why don't you try it out? Why don't you taste and see that God is good? And lastly, God is glorified. And ultimately, God is glorified. Worship, it's not an event, it's an experience. It's an awe-inspiring, overwhelming, powerful moment when you realize that all these things I've been focused on here in the natural aren't really that big, aren't really that important. The problems, the successes, the failures, they all pale in comparison to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. My question to you this morning is this, is are you still doing the drive-by? Are you allowing these moments that we have together to propel you into that experience of worship where you're filled, you're compelled to go tell somebody else, You invite people into that moment. God is glorified. Lord, we love you this morning. God, we thank you for who you are. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do me a favor, just stand to your feet. As we close, close your eyes for a minute. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. Lord, I pray you would take us to the place, God, where we can worship. We can bless the Lord at all times. We can worship you no matter what our circumstance is, no matter what our situation is. God, no matter what it looks like, we could worship you. And in that process of worship, man, something supernatural takes place. Just close your eyes for a minute as we close. And I, I believe with all my heart that we miss out on something supernatural when we don't connect in that place of worship. I believe that's where supernatural provision flows. I believe that's where supernatural signs and wonders and healings and demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit flows. In worship, when you connect with God, listen to me, not in music, not in a worship set on a Sunday morning, but when you realize those are just vehicles to get you to that place of, wow, God, you're awesome. That aha moment. My question to you is this, is as you're thinking about this morning, when's the last time you had that aha experience? Maybe it was this morning. 
Maybe it was in this worship time. Maybe it was last night. Maybe it was this week. Or maybe, maybe you've never had it. That aha moment, God, you're powerful. I can feel your presence. You're working in me. You're working through me. You're working for me. Hallelujah. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, please visit our website at www.canvaschurchsd.com.